1: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said? See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read at PG-13. There's
0: a lot more punks than there was four years earlier, but there was also as many posers. Posers were people that look like punks, but they did it for fashion. Welcome to SLC Punks, a Utah jazz podcast brought to you by the staff of SLC Dunk. Now here's your hosts, Michael Lohman and James Hansen.
1: Alright everyone, welcome back to the SLC Punks podcast. This is your host, Hansen James. And this is Milo and today we've got an emergency podcast to talk about a story that was released by Aaron Falk um, actually I wanted to do something really quick Milo I actually forgot to tell you that I was gonna do this before the podcast starts so don't have a hard attack but I wanted to give a shout out to some of the people that are giving us reviews on iTunes uh, let's see jazz fan 2512 uh, can I get a shout out here's your here's your shout out jazz fan 2512 Margaret. Irene. I've listened a couple times and really enjoyed the fun you have doing this. Thank you, Margaret. Nerd112. I'm just doing this for the free hot dog. You can come to my house, Nerd112. Uh, Nanobore.
0: <laughs> Somebody just said they, they just were looking for the free hot dog. Are you making that
1: up? No, I'm reading them right now. They're on iTunes. If you go to iTunes, you can leave Nanover2468. Love the podcast. We'll get a ring within five years. Yes, we will, Nanover. And then finally, the reason that I wanted to do this, Isaac Myatt. The podcast is the greatest. I love this podcast. It is the only jazz podcast. Love James Hansen. That's right. Are you, Thank are you, 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 you really? Isaac Myatt. Yep, I, Isaac I mean, Myatt.
0: First of all, one, you're dead to me. Two, you're <laughs> dead to me. Three, really. Four, what? Five? Is is this? Is did you did you like create an all new like Apple ID just so you could post that review, James?
1: Is that you? Nope. That is le- a legitimate and a, real podcast and not Russian. You have a you have a burner iTunes account. You've, you've, <laughs> you've taken a deep, deep dive. I'm my friend. That's why I did not ask for permission. I just did it. But I think you guys, wow. if you want to get a shout out on the podcast, I kind of like doing that. Go to iTunes, search for the podcast and give us a review and say whatever you want and I'll read it. We, I don't think we're censored. Maybe we are. But I will read it and and uh, give you a shout-out. And especially if you say, I love James Hansen. That's my favorite comment I've ever read on any thread. God, that's just including...
0: that's some serious pandering. That's just some serious pandering. Some serious <laughs> pandering.
1: But you guys, wow. we did want to do an emergency podcast today to talk about the story that Aaron Falk released on utahjazz.com. Previously um, of the Salt Lake Tribune. Previously of the Salt Lake Tribune. Uh, this... But it was talking about Darren Williams and him meeting with Jerry Sloan. They actually got together and met. And there's a lot of layers to this that I think was really interesting and really neat. Uh, did you want to start off, Milo, with some of your thoughts on this? Yeah. Yeah, so
0: it, I, I think there. what's interesting about this is um, there hasn't been a lot out there on you, uh, Darren Williams' side of the story. You've heard... We, I, we'll go into this a little bit later, but we've heard Greg Miller's side. We have heard um, third-party accounts of what's gone on. I myself have heard people who were there at the arena who have said off-the-record accounts of, of what has happened. I'm not going to list those here because they're not verified. But case in point, it's just it, – it it's felt like – they've all felt like ghost stories of what happened – That night, and when we—it's—it's so interesting for you for Utah Jazz fans who grew up during, uh, who basically became fans during the Darren Williams, Carlos Boozer era. When you say that night, everybody knows what what night you're referring to. It's the night of Chicago Bulls at Utah Jazz in Salt Lake City in February um, of uh, back in 2010. That was that was the night in which uh, the <laughs> everything in Utah Jazz on excuse me 2011 uh, changed dramatically. Um, that whole season had been a, a very rude awakening. Uh, Carlos Boozer had uh, had left and gone to Chicago, so that game was a bit of a homecoming of sorts to for Carlos Boozer. Um, the Jazz had traded for Al Jefferson using a. a player trade exception. Um, Their offense had been stagnated. That was the first year of Gordon Hayward. And Gordon Hayward had been on the receiving end of Darren Williams' angst and desire to win as they're trying to uh, develop this rookie. And and then you had Jerry Sloan, who was 26 years at it, and at times looked tired. And all of that was building up to – the, the that night in which they played um, the Chicago Bulls in Salt Lake City. And, 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 you'd heard, and you'd heard stories of Darren Williams and Jerry Sloan maybe going back and forth during the game at halftime. And then after the game, you had Jerry Sloan, who reportedly was just like, I'm done, it's over. And they tried to talk him out of it. Then the very next day, everybody knows where they were when they heard that Jerry Sloan was going to retire. And then they had the news conference and he had Tyrone Corbin. And then that was the beginning of the Tyrone Corbin era, whether for better or for worse, depending on your viewpoint of it. I think it's we're to a point now where we know it wasn't helpful. But that was that was the definite break in the road. Carl like the past the past era of Carl Malone and John Stockton went for so long, it was dragged out. So here's my dog going nuts. It's important to him too. And then you had Yes. Dog, dog is uh, very passionate about um, about that Carl Malone and Jerry Sloan era. Still, still, uh, still, wasn't even around during the uh, during the shot. But you know, has rough feelings about about Michael Jordan. So he, there was this there was this interesting <clears throat> interesting narrative because that night killed the Darren Williams. Era because later, Darren Williams was traded for Derek Favors, and we'd never heard what Darren Williams had had to say on his side, other than a quick bite out on on a podcast that he he would host from time to time last year. And boy, do we have details from from this whole thing with uh with with that was brought to us by Aaron Falk. Do you want to go into the details?
1: Um, a little bit. Uh, they kind of like you mentioned, it kind of goes into what happened, uh, that night. And Darren kind of gives his point of view. And it's a little bit of like, you know, Jerry said this, and Jerry asked me, Do you want to coach the team? And Darren mentions that a couple times, actually. And so <laughs> I'm guessing that's actually what he said. And I honestly, like, uh, when I look at back at this, in some ways, I'm, I'm kind of happy to have this come out because I personally feel like it's a good bit of closure to a topic that honestly, I think jazz fans in general are a little just fatigued Mm by, you know, there's just like, like you mentioned, it was the beginning of the Corbin era, which amongst fans and blogs and, and jazz media created a lot of just kind of frustration and disagreement and all these things. And, and you have some people feeling like the jazz were saying everything. And some people saying the jazz aren't telling us the whole story. And, and honestly, this is something that jazz fans and jazz media and everyone has talked about for years. And me personally, it's nice to get this just to get because it's closure for, for Darren and for Jerry. And that's the most important thing is for them to feel closure but it's nice that yeah, uh, it's nice that jazz fans can see a little bit of that as well.
0: Yeah. Cause during during the season, um, Darren Williams posted something that's, uh, on his Instagram towards the, Well, it was in the playoffs, wasn't it?
1: I can't remember. Um,
0: w- no, it's right after the playoffs. Um, he said here at Zion's, uh, the Zion's facility, the, uh, training facility for the Utah jazz. And, um, and it was like, whoa, Darren Williams. Like, Darren, like the, the the crazy thing for those who still hate Darren Williams, and it's kind of interesting because uh, it, there was this narrative that Darren Williams destroyed the whole thing. Like, he was he was the straw that broke Jerry Sloan's back. Like that was the end. But when you look, w- w- the more time that goes on, you start to you, you especially knowing what we know about Jerry Sloan's health, um, what. Uh, the contract situation that was upcoming Mm -hmm. with Darren Williams. um, It seems like this situation played into the Utah Jazz's hand of controlling the narrative and making it look like, oh, we're not blowing up the franchise. Darren Williams forced us to make this move because here's the thing. If this never happened, there's a chance the Utah Jazz make this move already. And guess what? There is going to be an entire fan base that is just going to be pissed about it, and and they're not going to direct their anger and their ire at Darren Williams as a scapegoat. It's going to be directly at Greg Miller, Kevin O'Connor, and the Utah Jazz. Mm-hmm. And they 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 were able to put their sins on Darren Williams, cast them out of the gates, and get were given the the perfect scapegoat. So, um, now when you look back, I think there's a few things. Um, Darren Williams talks about how he flipped, how he changed the call, um, on the on the court, and he may have, and that might have pissed off uh, Jerry Sloan. But I think the other thing was uh, there was also some 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 uh, yelling back and forth between Gordon Hayward and Darren Williams. So it wasn't like Darren Williams was like, um the happy-go-lucky uh guy he seems to be now it really i i will say it, it seems like darren williams has gone through a, a and it's an amazing change in his life mm-hmm. to um to, to he's matured a ton he's not the same player before um he lives in utah mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> he,
0: like he's in utah full time like it, it, I, I, I do I one thing I really wish I wish the um because he still looks like he's in playing shape I really would love if the Utah Jazz were to bring Darren Williams back for one season mm-hmm. to let him just play it out and trot it out so that so his last season wasn't in a Cleveland Cavaliers uniform
1: well and um, um I th- I just think. I think it's time to start thinking about could Darren Williams be like a personnel coach of some sort. Like when you talk about people being angry at Darren Williams, I actually kind of felt bad after reading this. Cause I was one of those people. I was angry at Darren. Same with me. I Same with like me. projected onto Darren Williams, all my frustration that everyone was just kind of feeling because everyone knew that it was kind of over. It was hard for me to kind of follow all this. I was in like, Ohio and North Carolina at the time and it was in the age where Twitter wasn't as big as it is now and and you didn't see jazz games as much because you're on the east coast and you know just news doesn't travel out there so it was kind of hard to follow everything that was going on but what news you did get was like what is Darren Williams doing he's ignoring this coach that we've loved for years and years and years and after reading the article and thinking about it a little bit I kind of feel a little bad I don't feel like darren williams deserved as i mean darren williams was and he even admits it in the thing that he kind of shouldn't have handled things the way he did but it's funny when you talk about when you talk about darren williams like changing the play if you think about the jazz today like the jazz have like a flow offense where the players make choices on the floor at all times they're just taught how and when to do things and stuff and back then there was always those big things like John Stockton would always look to Jerry Sloan and take the play call and then just do it exactly like Jerry wanted it. And, and Darren, we all know, like to kind of call plays on his own. And, and uh, it's just, to me, it kind of was interesting. And the NBA was starting to change too, the way coaches were like back, back during
0: the nineties and early two thousands, when people would refer to, Oh, that guy's a player's coach. That was almost like saying a dude, uh, a coach was soft. Mm-hmm. Like, his players run all over him. Now people are like, you know, we're, you got to be a players' coach. You got like, you're not looking for the hard nosed coach who's just constantly berating their players. Mm-hmm. Like you're looking for a guy who's building them up. And we've we now know studies are out there about positive reinforcement about helping it. And that's not just like a warm fuzzy feeling like the millennials like to be treated like this. No, we know this is actually backed up by science. No matter your age. Mm-hmm no matter um, you, um, what generation well, you're and, from. And, uh, and that's just the way that came from the era of throwing steel chairs. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, so... we know from Jerry Sloan's locker room that at times like there's people throwing things like there's stories about that. And like you did it Jerry's way or you didn't go. And it, that was like an old school way of thinking. And it's just met with some total control, it met with growing pains that it's, and it really kind of feels like Jerry Sloan and Darren Williams were kind of caught in the middle of a, kind of a change of culture in a way in the NBA where it's it's, you know, players uh, are kind of the most important thing in a lot of ways. Like we live in a day and age where like, does anyone really care who coaches LeBron James LeBron James goes to your team you start winning and then they figure out the coach later it's like a player's first league in a lot of ways but it wasn't always like Mm -hmm. that and I think some people still love to to kind of celebrate those hard-nosed coaches like you know like Popovich and things like that who's still a little bit like that but even Popovich and the Spurs are kind of running into their own they ran into their own situation like we did with with Kawhi Leonard where we don't know all the stories that went on with that kind of same thing that happened with Darren Williams, with uh, Jerry Sloan. I kind of watched the same exact thing happen with the San Antonio Spurs, where you have one player that doesn't really connect with a hard nosed coach and an organization that kind of is used to doing things a certain way for a long amount of time and has seen a lot of success. But then when the player Mm kind of decides that he feels like, you know, what, I kind of want to do it like this because I feel like that's best for me and that's actually better for my game and maybe other players on the court or whatever. And for Kawhi Leonard, it was more about injury, but when they met and disagreed, it didn't end well. And it's the same thing that happened with Darren. It's like you have kind of the organization and the player that just don't meet, don't see eye to eye and it it doesn't end well. And I think it's like two scenarios that are actually really interesting and similar that can be, you can learn from a little bit and hopefully, You know, the Jazz can after this maybe find a way to bring Darren Williams on. I actually think Darren Williams could be a really nice asset for the Jazz in terms of his ability to help players. Um like, couldn't you have some sort of position for Darren Williams, like the like he's in charge of helping them living in Utah and figuring out how and what's the best thing here and what's the best transition period? Because I know there's some players and I could be wrong, let me know if I'm wrong, but that have like lived in Darren Williams' house and he's helped players kind of transition to Utah and things like that. And in a small in a small yeah. way, Darren's kind of had a helping hand to the jazz, kind of in a kind of behind the scenes way. And I think that Darren Williams could be a really great ambassador to other players, maybe free agents, and let them know, like, hey, this is a great place. I wish I had never left here, because he's said that. I remember if you re- read the article, Darren Williams, when he was in Brooklyn, like did not enjoy his time there. He comes back here every summer. and uh, So I don't know. I think there's a lot of value to bringing Darren Williams on in kind of a consultant role for players or something where he can help with that. And who knows? Maybe as some sort of skills coach in some way. I don't know. Darren Williams was a big-time player. I, I, I think
0: I think there's an interesting thing. Um, he's, he's kind of like a silent recruiter in the, in the way that he's not, he, he's not saying, oh, you should come to Utah because of this and then not walking the walk. Instead, he's not really telling people, you got to come to Utah. He's just a guy who's just like, he loves Utah. He's found that he really likes to be there. He thinks it's great for his kids. He thinks it's great for his family. And what's interesting about that when you're recruiting players to Utah when you're, if you're going to recruit a free agent, you're recruiting them at a much different time in their lives than when they first enter the league or they're hitting their second round of their rookie contract. Mm-hmm. You're hitting them in their prime where they're starting to settle down. They might be looking at, they might be married by that point, having kids, and they're in a much different time than, than, hey, just getting into the league, time to get bougie and t- time to, you know, to, 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 you know, to show off with my millions. They're looking, they're, now they're looking, they have a, Additional parties in the negotiations—they're going to have their wife, they have their kids, so they're looking in a different spot. We saw that with LeBron James when he decided to go to LA; he made it a lot because of his kids and his family, mm-hmm. and his and his next steps post post NBA. Um, he also made it as a basketball decision. I don't think LA really <laughs> came through for him on the basketball yeah. part, but he but um, but he was he was doing. He, you know, there were other decisions at play. And I think with Darren uh with uh the Utah Jazz I think you said something really interesting when you're like I I I really resented Darren Williams I did as well and I think because at the time and I just started I'd only been writing for I'd been writing for Salt City Hoops for about a year and a half and then I've been with uh SLC Dunk for about a year by that point and um one thing that I I I remember feeling like is that you champion the organization over the player. And I wasn't very nuanced about that relationship at all. And I feel like since that point, looking back is it's really interesting when a player leaves, I'm going to use Gordon Hayward because this is the most recent example. When a player leaves, we're like, well, how dare he? He scorned our, our organization. This is absolute. Yeah, he's, he's, this guy's a bum. He's a loser. But when a, when an organization decides to jettison a player with no no advanced warning with uh that has been loyal to your organization has walked the walk has talked to talk similar to like Demar Derozan in Toronto we're like oh it's just a business a- as a fan we're more we're more readily available to uh defend our team against the villain that is the player that just did
1: not get it oh and not just that like players on Twitter will, or people on Twitter will say, yeah, and trade him for this and trade this guy for that. And all day long players get to read that stuff. <laughs> it's gotta be like,
0: yeah, they get to hear about. One.
1: Yeah. Like, uh, I mean,
0: we, we, we look at our teams like it's a fantasy league and we're like, oh man, it'd be fun to have this guy. And then I'm sure players are like, at who, for whom me you don't like me. I'm, 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 I'm here putting it on the line for y'all. And, and so, it was easy as a common fan at that time, especially without Twitter, without the, the engagement between the players and the fans that is so readily available now that you look at this now and you're like, man, if this would have played out now in 2018 with today's Twitter, with Waj, with all of this, with Waj and, and Shams at their peak and with The Athletic and ESPN and 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 all of these pieces um, – First off, we would have known about all these things within a week. Like, can you imagine? Can you imagine in the time of, 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 of Wojnowski and Shams this staying a secret for this long? Like, let's just let just that wouldn't have been like the Kawhi Leonard thing did not last long. This definitely wouldn't have lasted long. Yeah, and then and then you have uh, then you have all these pieces. Like, I I. I think the, the the thing that was hardest when I look back at this year was how quickly they were willing to move on for, from uh, an interim head coach in Tyrone Corbin to giving him a full-time head coaching tag and throwing the contract at him. That seemed disingenuous only, uh, and I because you're replacing a Hall of Fame coach, one of the best arguably to ever coach the game, and – Instead of being like, you know what, we need to have a full-on search. And if Tyrone Corbin is the best coach at the end of the day, at the end of that search, so be it. But they did not go out and find a good successor for that team. And that's unfair to Darren Williams. That's unfair to everyone who was on that squad. That's unfair to Gordon Hayward. That's unfair to everybody. Because those players were there because they knew they had a Hall of Fame coach. And instead, they got the backup to the backup. Mm -hmm. Because Phil Johnson retired that day as well.
1: And it kind of became, and Aaron Falk kind of mentions this one of the darkest periods in jazz history. It really was. Is was like a it long was, period. Was, of- I mean,
0: the the fan base was split. The uh, uh, writers didn't feel like they were getting very trustworthy information. You had Greg Miller who would end up beefing with Carl Malone in in a saga that, man, if it played out now. Greg Miller would be. I mean, it was on par with like, uh, with Comic Sans, LeBron James stuff. Mm-hmm. It would. It was ridiculous, and 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 that's that was that's arguably the cornerstone of your franchise, and and so, uh, at one point in the in, in the eighties and nineties, so the, the it was a messy, messy period of lo, of, of of overrating. Veterans underrating young talent, not developing young talent, the stupid dipping Oreo cookies and over dipping bullshit. there was there was so much of that era that was terrible that did not change until the Utah Jazz really uh, Greg Miller made the best decision of his tenure. and I'll say uh, and and save the jazz franchise from themselves in bringing in Dennis Lindsay. Absolutely.
1: Well, that what happened is, and the thing that Dennis Lindsay has done and has been just honestly fantastic since the point he's come in, because like you said, what happened is just, it felt so haphazard and it felt so frantic and just like, we've got to,
0: it never felt intentional. No, nothing, nothing felt felt intentional. everything felt
1: like by the seat of our pants, like, and it showed like, There, it didn't feel like there was any direction. So, you didn't know. Well, are we gonna try and win? Are we gonna, are we gonna just clean house? Are we? And we ended up doing kind of halfway thing where we're trying to make the playoffs and and just doing the best we can with this coach that honestly was uh, Ty Corbin's a great man and good person and all those things, but he was just not up to task with. With what was going on, especially the difficult situation that it was, because he had to deal with, um, you know, the aftermath of losing a superstar who was arguably one of, if not the best, point guard in in the league, and now seeing a fan base watch their coach kind of just that they loved for years just like fail and well, not fail but fall from um, just everything fall apart in front of them. Basically, is what I'm trying to say, and. It just was. Mm -hmm. It was awful, and so then we get a three-year contract with Tyrone Corbin, and those three years were so hard for Jazz fans. Whether you were pro Corbin
0: and for Tyrone Corbin, or or against him, or whatever, whatever uh, skeptical of the organization, it was not a fun. It was not a fun. Whatever
1: side you were on, whether you were like pro uh, Corbin and you were excited about bringing in vets to be stop gaps that got playtime over young players, you weren't happy. Or if you were against all that, you would see the frustrations you would have with the coaching and you would, it's like we were trying to win, but we weren't good enough to win. So you would wonder, well, why aren't we playing our young players so they can at least get better, but they wouldn't get time. And, and then you have jazz media telling you to think this way. And that, that, was the thing for me personally that was the hardest thing because you know i watched every i've you know covered the jazz watched every single one of those games sometimes i mean you know you're a crazy person when you watched those games multiple times on dvr <laughs> i'm a <laughs> sick person in my mind but like and i'm maybe i'm losing my train of thought here but oh what i'm trying to say is that the hardest part about that situation is just being told how to be a fan and being told what to be happy about and being told what to like. What I like about the jazz now is that it feels like it's just a whole. And Dennis Lindsay has done more than I think he even realizes with his ability to allow uh, and be transparent in a lot of ways to let jazz fans know what's going on. I think the jazz are still tight lipped about a lot of things. and They've always been very tight lipped. That's one of their calling cards, but The Jazz are much more transparent about what they're doing. So when we got rid of... We didn't trade Al Jefferson and Paul Millsap for anything. And there was a... Whether you agreed with that or not, there was a clear strategy going on. That we're not going to bring in stopgap veterans. And that was apparently all that they were able to have trades for. So they didn't do it. So they restarted everything. And this is part of why I am a big fan of Dante Exum. And it's not even always just about dante exum it's dante exum's almost like he's like the baby of the new marriage the first new child and it's like all right we have this new marriage this whole life behind us and we have all this baggage from like a former marriage that just ended was really good, but ended really badly for things that were out of our control. Now we have this new baby and we've got to raise it. And that's part of why I'm so pro Dante Exam He has to be good because he is like the culmination of those years of just like frustration, of terribleness. terribleness arguments. The, only, the only
0: true. <laughs> I mean, we had three years of intentional tanking, uh, unintentional tanking. And then we had one intentional tank year, and then that yielded us yielded Dante Exum. I think I I think looking at this this whole period, um, I, for one, I'm glad that Darren Williams is being brought back into the fold. It's about damn time. He deserves it. Um He does. He does. He definitely deserves it. I think he it's crazy to think he's only 34 years old. When we're talking about, you know, Chris Paul, and we're like, oh, Chris Paul is still, you know, a great point guard and everything. Th- there' There were nights, and and if you're if you're a jazz fan who missed that era, the Carlos Boozer, Darren Williams era, you and you're like, man, there's been no one like Donovan Mitchell there uh, this season, like Donovan Mitchell, that second year of Darren Williams where he just showed out, and you're like, dude, we got ourselves a star. This guy's amazing. That we we've seen this before. Now we didn't see it in a rookie package. We saw it in a sophomore. Mm-hmm. But still, we got to see we got we got to see this type of coming out party for somebody. The only difference is this dude is a highlight machine. Darren Williams, Darren Williams was uh, like the his stardom was surgical. Like he was just uh, precision when it came to passing, when it came to shooting. When he was big and physical, and he um, could
1: overpower guys.
0: And big and physical, yeah. He, I mean, it. He was fun he was really fun and then when and then he, when he left utah he had his injuries and he he wasn't the same and i also don't think he i think when you finding a good hand glove fit for a coach that really understands your system is really underrated because he never really found that and i would love for i would love for him to come into utah with the way utah has their motion offense and to allow him to shine for just 10 to 15 minutes a game I would love to see that Darren Williams, that vintage Darren Williams come out and shine every once in a while. (laughs) I don't think it's going to happen, but, um, I do think he definitely needs to have his Jersey and Raptor rafters. Also, Andre Karolinko needs to be up there as well. Andre Karolinko who likes Um,
1: almost every single Utah jazz post on Instagram, by the way.
0: Yes. Yeah. Andre, like Karolinko needs to be welcome full, full in arms. Um, And, uh, um, it's an, it's like, it's an important part of jazz history, but but, but that era, that whole era, that whole era, Carlos Boozer. And it's so crazy to me that the dude who comes out smelling like the rose, like a rose is Carlos Boozer. The dude who on national television said, I'm opting out of my contract when he's injured, when the jazz are fighting for a playoff seat. And then he doesn't causes the jazz to hit the salary tax. They have to trade Ronnie Brewer and do all these other things because they can't afford the luxury tax that sent them into this spiral anyway. Like that dude somehow is the dude that everybody still is okay with in Utah. And somehow Darren Williams was the villain. It is so crazy. Like if you like at that moment, if you it, like if you, when Carlos Boozer said that, and if you would have said, yeah, in a year and a half from now, Carlos Boozer is going to be the one everyone's going to be like, man, why couldn't Darren Williams be like that guy?
1: You would you, you would have never believed it. Mm-hmm. It's insane. No, and I, I think I it's been just such an interesting saga. And I'm actually happy for Darren because I think he comes out really well. And it sounds like when you listen to the podcast or you can read the transcript too, I actually recommend listening to the podcast because there's things in there that aren't in the transcript. It looks like I might be wrong, but uh, I've read the thing. There's a few things. So it's it's worth reading things. and then listening to, uh, but it sounds like Jerry kind of still lit into him a little bit and that's fine. It's, it kind of looks like it kind of looks oh, like I, I'm glad it did because at least Jerry Sloan
0: is still on brand. Know, for Jerry and it's kind of like
1: Jerry being Jerry, I guess it, it shows a lot of character from Darren Williams to be able to like, you know, you know what? If I Even if I disagree with what Sloan is saying. And he's actually, if you listen to the podcast, it's actually really interesting. Uh, Darren kind of mentions like, you know what? Some of these things, they happen today. And like, I don't think it would be the same. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But he mentions that. And he's right. Like some of these things, uh, it wouldn't be the same way. And I promise you, the Jazz have seen uh, locker room troubles and strife that we don't know about that are that have been tough that Quinn Snyder has dealt with. If you think that the, the Gordon Hayward saga was clean and, and everything was bright and rosy while Darren Williams was the leader, the quote unquote, I should say leader of this team. You're wrong. Things like this were relatively common. And I think, I think Jerry was really tired and I think he finally was just part. It just kind of worked out the way it did. Uh, Darren Williams was a hothead and he knows it and he admits it in the, in the podcast but stuff like that happens all and here's the time the thing,
0: jerry sloan always was a hothead too like this is one of those things where you might have had two guys who were just too much like well each they other. were both
1: a personalities which and is is what you sometimes is what it takes to be a star in the nba whether it's a star player or a star coach and they just butted heads yeah you don't get to be in that position for being for being
0: like for settling like you're not one of the best like one of the best players in the world if you're the type of guy that's just like eh,
1: okay I'll, yeah, I'll just run that play even though I know in my heart that maybe we could do it better this way whether Darren's wrong or not he's going to do that every time you know he wants to win
0: yeah and and I th- and I, I I like what you said um Darren Williams w- allowed Jerry to get his his feelings out and that's a really that's that's something like, and they're like, that's a really mature thing to do. That's something like people who who are late in their fifties, sixties, and seventies won't even allow others oh, to do. That's
1: not in this day. That's and age. not.
0: That's not just a, 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 a. Hey, that's mature for somebody. That's that's
1: that's well, just that's a big deal. That's, and that's he knows that he right he doesn't know how. Like, let's be honest. Like, that's some well, big Darren Aaron what, energy uh, right what there. What evidence does Darren have that the Jazz are going to portray him in a good light when he does that? You know. He doesn't know if, like, if Aaron right. Falk's going to write something nice about him because a lot of the things that have been written about him have not been nice, and so he doesn't have to do that. And so that's a really big deal for Darren Williams to to be like that. It shows a lot of character. It shows a lot of growth. Uh, it's a big deal, and that's something that we should celebrate for Darren. I hope he. I'm I'm not going to boo Darren anymore. <laughs> and I'm one of the. I'm the moron on Twitter saying you should boo this guy. He did this evil thing and I was wrong, you know, I'm wrong. I'm sorry, Darren. You don't know who I am and nor do you care, nor should you. But, you know, I kind of played into this whole thing and I feel kind of (laughs) bad. Like I wanna make it right. And so I hope that like at some point Darren Williams gets gets remembered. I hope we retire his jersey because he is a big part of jazz history. Jazz history is John Stockton, Carl Malone, and then it's the Darren Williams era and that's how everyone talks about it. And I think Darren Williams brought us to a Western conference final and deserves a Jersey in the rafter. If Garth Brooks can get a Jersey in the rafter, so can Darren Williams, in my opinion, I I might be wrong there, but I think that's something we could do.
0: (laughs) I I, I think, I think one thing um, under uh, a few things in this whole story, uh, that I don't think we touched on one the glossed over area where Greg Miller says, Oh, there's some things that um, I, I, you know, that I felt <laughs> like, what, what was it? Well, let me get the, the full, uh, Greg Miller quote, because it's, it's the, um, uh, let's see here. Cause Greg, Greg Miller definitely had, well, he was um, part of this too. Had some things. What? yeah he was and he was a he was a new owner during this thing and he had stubbornness too and um and and it was it, it just wasn't well while you look for that, well, why, while you look for that having... I'll say
1: one thing about that um, yeah. I think another hero well I don't know if hero's a strong word he's a cool guy but one of the people that's kind of showing out to be really amazing for this organization and wasn't really a part of that saga, is Steve Starks. Steve Starks is the person that's initiating yeah. this. And honestly, a situation like that, I don't like in Greg Miller's defense. I don't know who's going to handle that situation perfectly. I don't know in like, I can't like say that in the moment I would handle that perfectly. Cause I know how tough certain situations like that can be, especially when you've got like, I mean, I'm, I dealt with we both have dealt with real world things and real world situations, and we don't always handle it the way we could. And you look back and you're like, man, I probably should have done it this way and whatever. And but he's dealing with a Hall of Fame coach, uh Hall of Fame ish player in Darren Williams. At least at the very least, he deserves his jersey in the Rafters in Jazz Stadium. And they are just lost just lost a game Chicago Bulls. So you've got like game time intensity to the max. Both guys are fighting you've got like emotions that have built up for an entire season and maybe even more and you know what i don't think it's really that fair to beat up greg miller about it honestly when i think about it like how how would i react in this situation probably not perfectly i will say though i think i think the mm-hmm. jazz are in very good hands with steve starks and his ability to work with these things steve starks goes with jazz the jazz um, in contract negotiations. I know that he does that. Um, uh, and so I, I was going to say something else, but I'm not going to say it, but he's done it. He goes with them in negotiations and does a great job. And I know he does that. Um, and he's a big part of player yeah, yeah. personnel things. I, and, he's and Steve, great. And, you know, I don't know, maybe if Steve Starks was here, it wouldn't have been such a blow up and who knows? I, I know he's done a great job. I, I think what's good about
0: Steve Starks is Greg Miller anything that is an attack on Greg Miller because he's an owner um part of ownership and now part of that you know representative on that that font, uh, on on the um on the trust he any anything that's saying this organization sucks they're going to take that mm-hmm. very personally right um because you're going to be like well I've been working you know I worked my ass off for this we built this we pay the checks we write the money. you know we mm-hmm. we do this right and Versus, like Steve Starks, is a important and necessary buffer between ownership and players and management to being able to really broker peace in all those things. Because he can go in there, because it, he it's it, like he he definitely works hard, but he can he can be a representative of each different organization and be that that neutral field, as
1: mm-hmm. it were
0: to do these things. And I think Steve Starks, because he's number one, a jazz fan. And I can, I I can speak from experience. Uh, he's just, he, he's a good guy. He's just a really good guy. And he cares. He cares about a, a lot of different things and he cares about getting things done, uh, getting things right. And I think he's done a lot for connecting the Utah jazz with its past because the the thing that was hard during the Tyron Corbin era, even the Darren Williams and Carlos Boozer era was – it almost feels like Utah was reticent to really bringing in past eras. Like when, when Darren Williams and Carlos Boozer was going along, I mean even ESPN is being like, this is the best duo since since uh, since John Stockton and Karl Malone. And, and you, the Utah Jazz would push back on that comparison. Mm. And you wouldn't see you wouldn't see John Stockton and Carmelone Malone at those games. You wouldn't see them coming into Utah. And what's interesting about Donovan Mitchell in this new Donovan Mitchell era is you're starting to see, uh, for example, you saw uh, they signed David Stockton, mm-hmm. which I think was as mu- uh, as much about um, bridging a gap between the past and and now um, as it was um, needing uh, David Stockton on on um on the team. Um because Tyron Wallace was out there and they could have had him, but they chose David Stockton instead. Um they then you had uh Carl Malone, right? You had you had Carl Malone who um because of the terrible fallout between Greg Miller and himself um had was very, very very um uh critical of the Utah Jazz organization and you had Donovan Mitch, Mitchell over the summer reaching out to him and he had Carl Malone tweeting which is a huge thing when he's tweeting from uh, that same phone that Alexander Graham Bell <laughs> used to make well, his first a, call
1: outside and, of the tweets lately <laughs>
0: <laughs> right exactly like i'm not sure like he, he had, i mean he had to crank it up and and so and and then you had Donovan wearing jerseys and this this it feels for the first time in a while that the, and and you had Donovan Mitchell because of his connections to Louisville. He's reaching back to the one of the first star players for the Utah Jazz post post pistol,
1: mm-hmm. post
0: Pete Maravich Ultra. of Daryl Griffith and Adrian Duntley, and and then soon you'd have you know Mark Eaton and others. So that and that and rarely what what's amazing is there are very f- few jazz fans who are very conscious of that very first mm-hmm. jazz team. I would say there's many of our writers who are not very familiar with um, how good Adrian Dauntley was because we've had, a, uh, trust me. Um, we, we have, we have our, um, our, our threads between the, our, our writers back and forth. And sometimes like when you go deep into the history book, when people are like, oh, Adrian Dauntley wasn't, a, was okay as a small forward. And you're like, dude, the guy was a God when he was at, when he was at his best. Daryl Griffith was amazing and just didn't get to have the three-point attempts that really would have made him amazing. So there's there's these there's this time now which I'm liking and and I will say even though there are some parts of the story that Aaron Falk probably rightfully so the Utah Jazz want to make sure that this is a piece about reconciliation not really airing out dirty laundry because there's more more dirty laundry behind the scenes than just like a few things were said here and there. Um, but uh, but it is nice that they're starting to re-reconciliate with well, their I... past and really start uh, start to close the book on some things and really open up the full catalog. Yeah, of and jazz I think history. Darren
1: Williams deserves that because there's a lot of things you could talk about, and we've talked about it for literally years. The Corbin years, it got talked about ad nauseum. And I don't really know if it really brings any yeah. value at this point to really hash those things out anymore. Yeah, like hash out. it's, it's kind of done. And it would be really nice to just kind of talk about what is the future of Darren Williams and the jazz. I think that's actually more interesting than anything. And now that it looks like a bridge is being built and we see Steve Starks and Darren Williams having and, and Darren Williams have his arm around Jerry Sloan all of a sudden in a really cool picture with Greg Miller. I I I think it's pretty neat, and I I think that uh, Steve Starks deserves a lot of credit. I don't know all the ins and outs of what's gone on to to make sure that that happened, but he deserves a lot of credit for um, setting that up and and not necessarily setting that up, but creating a culture within the jazz uh, that has made that possible. Um, Dennis Lindsay has turned this organization around in more ways than just simply making good draft picks. One of the most irritating things you'll get when you write about basketball and besides like readers on, on forums telling you why your article is stupid and you (laughs) is like, is like when people uh, (laughs) say things like, Oh, Dennis Lindsay's such a terrible GM because he should have picked this guy. You know what? Draft picks are important and it's one aspect of being a general manager, for sure. But a whole one aspect, another important, maybe the most important aspect of all of being a GM is they're like a CEO of a company and they create an organa- organization below them that has to work. And Dennis Lindsay has slowly but surely added hires um, that have been approved, I'm sure, by the Miller family, Greg Miller, Gail Miller, uh, Steve Starks and all that, to hire the right people to create uh, an organization whether it's scouting or or video team or health staff um under with the coaching staff they've hired a lot of assistant coaches and yeah. and consultants and things like that that have like create they've created a culture within the jazz that you can just tell runs smoothly and the re the the fruit of that culture is donovan mitchell The Jazz had all the intel they needed to know that he was great, whether it was the health staff looking at him or the bringing him in for workouts. And you have the scouting team that can that has experience to tell you that or like your Mm -hmm. analytics team that can say, hey, his game may uh, really translate to the NBA really well. And things like that, like that allow you to make the right choice at the right time, whereas in the past, it might not have been that way. Like you said it before, one of the best things that was ever done was hiring Dennis Lindsay to to change the organization. Like there will always be things that you can agree and disagree with, like whether they should have drafted this guy or that guy, or whether they should, you know, have done this or that, you know, traded for this guy, not traded or whatever. Dennis Lindsay has created an organization that is going to be rock solid for the Jazz for for years to come. And One of the things, Mm -hmm. at the same time, Dennis Lindsay has also been very willing to adjust quickly. So if he drafts a player that it just didn't work out, they moved on from him. And if they had hired, they moved on from Ty Corbin and wish Tyrone Corbin nothing but the best, honestly. But I just don't know if he was up to Dennis Lindsay's standards as a coach and and he brought in Quinn Snyder. Exactly. And the modern NBA. Tyrone Corbin it's just it's just kind of reality but Quinn Snyder has proven to be a really great hire and I will say this and I don't know how much longer we want to talk about this but we should be a little bit well I don't know if we have to end on Dante x and we always have to talk about Dante X. but the, I'm you turning can, this is all crazy, coming like around to Dante, Dante Exum. Exum. <laughs> but because we've seen Donis Lindsay move so quickly on other decisions, whether it was trade Trey Lyles, or whether it was uh... <laughs> make a hire, quit Snyder.
0: Yeah. No, I'm just slow clapping for you. That's oh. just, I mean, good job. Yeah, this was, this was, this was just a 49 minute con <laughs> this to is get why to Dante talk about X, Dante. be really X. good.
1: He didn't move on from Dante. We should trust that. There we go. That's all I have to say about Dante. And in this Darren Williams discussion, I think I, I, w- one, one phrase that I like to refer to um,
0: um, when, uh, w- when, when I acted and uh, I, I had a, there was a, a guy at a, at a theater I worked at. Um, he had the term chasing your dragon. Um, and what did that would refer to is you would have your best show. And, um, and then the, there would be a mistake that you would try to replicate that show um, action for action, word for word, and, and, and react, reaction for reaction. And, and he's like, it's always a mistake because you're never going to have the same conditions. You're never going to have the same uh, crowd. You're never going to be feeling the same way, be into the scene the same way. And you need to just be authentically in the scene in that moment, you um and 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 allow that organic experience to happen versus trying to force it. And I think of the Tyrone Corbin years as Utah Jazz trying to uh, chase their dragon of the of the uh, of Jerry Sloan of what happened to Jerry Sloan because uh, Phil John uh, it wasn't Phil John Frank Lane retired and they put Jerry Sloan in the next uh, like right after. And they had this really unique situation where it's just, it, almost like a King Arthur, like uh, uh, like the Lady of the Lake giving the sword. And we're like, this is a perfectly fine way of government. When King Arthur dies, we'll just go to the Lady of the Lake again. Um, versus being like, this is a one-time, very interesting uh, development. And the Utah Jazz pulled that with Tyrone Corbin. They're like, well, it worked with Jerry Sloan. Of course, it's going to work with Tyrone Corbin. Instead of just really thinking, you know what, th- that was a really unique thing. We had a coach who was already a head coach before in Chicago that was sitting here on the bench who was ready to go and had learned and, and took his lumps and, and was ready for the call again. Um, and I felt like during that time they were chasing their dragon instead of allowing themselves to create a culture to be organically in that. And I think what uh, Dennis Lindsay has done – with the organization is he didn't recreate the Utah jazz culture of the eighties and nineties. He didn't try to recreate what they had during the Darren Mm -hmm. Williams, Carlos Boozer era. He they've created a whole new, a whole new culture. This isn't the Spurs culture, albeit they have taken elements of the Spurs way of doing things, whether it's player development, uh, running a system, the, the way the head coach and the, uh, the, the ownership and the general management are all on the same page but this is a completely different culture now especially with the way Donovan Mitchell is the way um, you have um, Derek favors um, and it and it feels like the it's been a, a slow march here but last year it finally felt like there was that culture, especially with the way Ricky Rubio was brought in and he brought in new elements and they, and and they've allowed this collaboration with different players, personalities, general management, Steve Starks, ownership, the, 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 the the trust um, uh, for the Utah jazz organization. They've allowed it and created this, this own entity that is really ramped up and is going to be really interesting once we get into free agent negotiations next summer. And so that's what I think about when I read this piece. It, this this piece happened not because Steve Starks had an idea and said, "Aha, has anyone thought about getting Darren Williams to talk to Jerry Sloan?" like it was a novel <laughs> concept. But the conditions the, the conditions are there now because of the hard work of so many people behind the scenes of working hard and building this this uh, an organization that darren williams can now feel like he can trust and not feel like um he, he's going to be scapegoated this is this is about the culture of the utah jazz finally taking hold and allowing old players to come back in the fold and wanting mm-hmm. to partake of it like it and this is not the old the past players being like wow you know uh, back in the day, I could throw a football uh, over mm-hmm. those mountains, type of thing, and, and wishing for the good old days. They're wanting to partake in the new thing that is happening because it's fun, and they want to be a part of that ride, and so that's really exciting. I think that's really exciting for the new era of jazz bas- basketball that we have, of uh, where the 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 good players that Utah has. Um, there's this is just a really exciting time for Utah. So, um. Yeah. I I think, I think it's just really, really amazing. I, I, I mean, we could, we could dish dirt on, you know, the details that we didn't think came out from this article all day, but I think one of the, I think the, the most important takeaway from this whole thing is that the Utah jazz are finally, finally um, really building something and moving forward and are not stuck in the bitterness and the grudges of the past and are allowing the present and the future to take Mm -hmm. precedence. And that's really that's really something special.
1: It's funny, if you to talk to to me or to SLC Dunk or any of the other blogs out there during that period and say, you know what, in about three or four years, you're gonna have arguably one of the best organizations in the entire MBA. And so, don't worry, don't sweat all this stuff too much. I'd have been like, sure, <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> good luck. I, I will. If if you would have told me that, I would have been like, that's oh, right. Crap, sold the team. Dang it. And <laughs> <laughs> so it's 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 really it's really something special. There's, um, there's plenty of uh, stuff out there to talk about right now, but we'll save that for another uh, for our next podcast. Um definitely check out the site right now. There's some awesome stories right now. We have one on Dante Exum. And if you're a fan of Samuel Beckett, Oh man, get ready for a deep dive. Uh, We, we do have some awesome things. We have training camp. That's just around the corner, which is crazy. And then we have, and then we're getting into, we're getting into scrimmages. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. We're, we're, we're we're, we're a week away. We're a week away from a, a, a lot of fun things happening. So, Definitely, definitely follow uh, follow us on on iTunes. Subscribe to us. Follow us on SoundCloud, and uh, definitely re- leave us a review because evidently, hey, James I'm reading, is.
1: I'm reading is, those, uh, and if you enough. compliment me, I will read it out loud. Actually, any any thing on there, I will read it. Except if you say not nice things, but if you say nice things, I'll read it. And maybe we'll go back to and read some of the old ones. Um. Yeah, I mean, if you
0: want us to quote Shakespeare next week, hey, <laughs> drop, drop a, son- a sonnet. <laughs> we'll read it evidently because this is what we do now, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so so follow us there. <laughs> so follow us there. Hit us up. At, uh, check us out, SLC Dunk. We have a ton of good coverage and we have um, uh, we have NBAs uh, uh, just around the corner. Definitely, uh, definitely follow us on Twitter at SLC dunk on Instagram at SLC dunk. And then also check us out on Facebook. We got the wonderful and always great, uh, Taylor Griff who is, who is running that. So a lot of good things out there. Um, once, once again, this was fantastic work by Aaron, Aaron Falk. It's, um, I'm, when he went to the Utah jazz to, to uh, be their writer and this new experiment that they have, I was really excited because he's mm-hmm. a really excellent talent. And I, th- this was, this was, uh, even though a lot of the story was sanitized, I bet you, he probably had to fight to get, uh, uh, to, to get a lot of these stories and details out there because this, it, it it's not coming from a rosy, a, a rosy point of view. And when, one of the lowest points of your franchise. Normally, people don't really even want to talk about any parts of it, let alone the parts that they feel that are for public consumption. So this was a really awesome thing that he did. So kudos to him and and the group that brought mm-hmm. brought it out there. Um, and uh, you got anything to say, James, before we
1: we say no, goodbye? Just believe in Dante Exum. That's all. That's oh, all I cool. got to say. <laughs> there we go. We out. <laughs> <not> <laughs>